Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Hi, welcome today on Sci-Fi Talk. We're talking about a movie called Ghost Waits, and we have its director, Adam Stovall, co-writer. He also did some uh, shooting and second unit as well. He wore a lot of hats on this one, but uh, it, it sounds like a labor of love. Very much so, yes. Oh, cool. Now, this is a kind of, I guess, the best way to describe it is a, a rom-com horror film. Is the the humor aspect of this, does it kind of deal, uh, dwell in the dark humor category more than the straight out humor? Probably so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's probably accurate. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a gallows humor person, I guess. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. All right, cool. Well, your background is in comedy. Uh, I mean, you yeah. were with a troupe. And uh, did you do a lot of improv in that group at all? Not in that one. That group was uh, sketch and stand-up. Um, I was part of an improv troupe in Cincinnati for a very little, very short amount of time for myriad reasons. But no, I, most of my most of what I've done, um, and when I was in high school, I was in a troupe that like we would kind of improv. A, a, a series of sketches and then kind of like what you do with a play, you rehearse it, you rehearse it, and then you hit like, okay, this is what works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that would just be our program that we performed all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So how did this story kind of come to you? Uh, so McLeod Andrews and I, McLeod's my co-writer and co-producer and male lead of the movie and yeah. my best friend. Cool. We had been trying to make another movie and that didn't happen. And I had taken it kind of hard because we I felt like we got pretty close. Um, and so I'd gone back with my tail between my legs home to uh, northern Kentucky. And I was vis- visiting my friends Brian and Jen Price, and they had me play this video game called PT that was designed by Guillermo del Toro and Hideo Kojima. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's this first person haunted house puzzle game. And <laughs> I just, yeah, it's so cool. Um, <laughs> sadly, it's impossible to find now. Sony has uh... like, wiped the earth of it. Um, but I had my friends cracking up laughing because it was me responding to a haunted house. So, you know, you're in a creepy bathroom and a baby starts crying from an empty sink. I'm just like, no, I don't have to, I don't have to check that out. I'm perfectly fine where I am. (laughs) Uh, And them, they reacted so strongly that I thought, you know, I've really never seen a haunted house movie with a character like me in it. And then around that time, I saw a webcomic called Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial, where a man asks a woman what she thinks is the most American movie. And she says, Ghostbusters, because here's a movie where you have demonstrable proof of an afterlife. But the whole thing is about growing a small business and navigating government bureaucracy. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I thought that's really funny, but also like, oh, yeah, a ghost does mean there's an afterlife. I would have so many questions. Yeah. Absolutely. And those two things kind of form the spine of the movie. Mm, yeah, cool. The the mythology you kind of established in the movie is, is is neat because there's a ghost that haunts his house, but she has like a supervisor, it seems, that, <laughs> that, that's kind of telling her, hey, you're you're not doing your job. You're supposed to haunt this place kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, describe kind of coming up with the, the hierarchy and the mythology of the haunting. You know, it's it's funny. Um like I said, we've been trying to make another movie and we had met an investor who was really excited. 
And then he happened to be talking to our mutual friend, Nick Thurkettle, and asked, hey, what's Adam up to? And Nick said, I think he has this, he has this like weird haunted house idea. And so uh, MF Thomas is the, the, who I'm referring to here, one of our executive producers. He called me and said, what's this haunted house thing? And I told him what I had of the story. I did not have a script yet at all. Uh, told him when I had the story and he said, oh yeah, that sounds good. I'll put in X amount of money. And then I, I called my mom to, to match it. But so we had a budget as small as it is. We had the budget before we had a finished script. And oh, so I was great. just writing by the seat of my pants, you know, every day it was just, okay, what's interesting today. So the idea of giving, of making like a ghost corporate structure, <laughs> because we kind of learned that, you know, the living and the dead were not so different um, I liked the idea of there just being of, of there of even in death you have a boss. I think it's a modest mouse song that says you wasted life. Why wouldn't you waste death? And I've just always liked that idea of like you know we die and then we just you know if there is an afterlife it's more of the same. You know yeah uh, I find that interesting. And so yeah it became really fun. And also I don't really like writing villains. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're writing like a character that is the bad guy. Uh, I, 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 I kind of think systems become the villain. Like in my experience of things is that, you know, most people who are the villain of your day are really just representative of a larger system. Mm. And so that was, that was really <laughs> fun to explore was like being, being kind of lost, you know, still lost in a hierarchy and how attractive that can be sometimes when you're trying to lose yourself. Uh, it sounds like Yoki also took the opportunity to kind of poke a little fun at that, too. Oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> what are we doing here if we're not laughing at ourselves? That's right. That's so uh, true. Yeah, it's, it's super fun to kind of, I have 80 minutes of somebody's time. I, I do, I want to say something, but I also want to entertain them and I want them to, you know, be, to engage um, you know, McLeod and I, any time we could have fun, we did. Any time mm-hmm. we could insert uh, some levity into the movie, any time we could make a beat enjoyable, we we tried to do that. Mm-hmm. How did you find Natalie Walker, who is Muriel? Twitter. Twitter, get yeah. out. I've been, so I had been following her for a while, and she's absolutely hilarious. Um <laughs> And then I had written the part of Muriel for somebody else, for a friend, and she got cast on a TV show. Um, let me mute my phone so that stops happening. But so she got cast on a TV show, and I had to recast. And I happened to be sitting at my laptop one night, and t- Natalie tweeted something, and I was like, God, she's so smart and funny. And then I was like, Oh, wait a second, she's also an actor. And I went to her website hoping there would be some clips, and there weren't, but there was an email. And so I just reached out to her and said, hi, I, you know, I don't know if you care about this at all, but I'm making a movie and I think you'd be really interesting in the lead. Um, if you're interested, I can send you the script. And she said she was interested. I sent her the script. She liked it. She did a self tape. And just the second it began, I was like, oh, that's Muriel. Cool. Wow. <laughs> like, that's just her. That's just uh, her. perfect. Well, that doesn't happen often. So you're, you're luck out there. Yeah. Casting is really interesting. Like, yeah, because with casting, you're basically looking for like, you know, somebody who's 100 percent right for the role. Yeah. And 99 percent is really close to 100. But what I've kind of learned is that like craft and discipline and work ethic and all that stuff can get you to 99. But instinct is what takes you to 100. 
Mm. You know, yeah. so even though we'd seen other people for the role, the second Natalie spoke as Muriel, it was just that was Muriel. Like mm. it, it, there, there was no like discussion of it. Just like, oh, yep, okay, we're mm-hmm. good. We don't have like, to worry about this anymore. In a, in a haunted house, I mean, it that says it right there. The house, it's really a character in these movies, uh, you know, and it seems like you found a pretty good place uh, for. You know, to do the haunting at. I mean, McLeod's job in the movie is essentially he just gets houses ready to sell. And they were trying to figure out why they, this house didn't sell. And yeah. we found out why, because it's haunted. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, talk about finding this place. And did you have to do anything to it to kind of make it a little more spooky? <laughs> I feel like John would love it if I said that we did, but no. <laughs> um, you know, I had put out, uh, because we made this for very little money, um, I was doing a lot through social media of putting out like, hey, we're looking for this, that, other thing. And, and you know, so at one point it was, um, we're looking for locations. We looked at a few like really just amazing houses mm. um, that are, I think, more what you think of when you think of like a movie haunted house. Gothic. Yeah. You know, winding stairways, staircases, all that. But John had reached out and had said, you know, hey, you know, I've got a house if you need one. You're welcome to, to shoot there. And I got to say, I mean, it it saved our bacon so many times over mm-hmm. because we ended up doing a bunch of reshoots. And just every time we needed the house, John was, yep, it's yours. You know, he was wow. so patient and so kind uh, about it. You know, that's why we ended up giving him a producerial credit, uh, associate producer. Um, you know, the movie really doesn't exist, certainly not in the state that it does now without him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just this little house out near Mount Airy Forest in, uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. We got there and I really liked the idea of, you know, this, it's a, it's a rental home. You know, and it can be semi-furnished, but you don't want it to be too much. You know, it doesn't, it shouldn't look like people have been living there too long. And John had just moved into it. So it was in a state where like, okay, this is kind of half a house, you know, and, and he has since filled it out with furniture and everything. But no, I mean, we, we got there and, you know, we would move stuff around from time to time, but there's also only four of us on the crew. So We're just like, we're just going to play it as it lies. Like, this is, this is what we're using. Black and white. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of black and white movies. I guess because I was weaned on the old Universal Monster films when I was a mm-hmm. young kid. And they made such an impression for me. And that was my first introduction to horror. And they, they still hold a very special place and uh, just a craftsmanship on those films. But I love black and white. Yeah. Mel Brooks certainly pulled it off in Young Frankenstein <laughs> or Frankenstein, if you wish. And um, well, I'm Igor. Yeah, Igor, <laughs> Frau Blucher. I mean, they're all I mean, it's great stuff. But um, but yeah, what was uh, what led you to, to shoot in good old B&W? I love black and white. Mm. I love the aesthetic. I love James Whale movies. Oh, I, yeah. I love it. And so in, in prep, like. I remember saying we were on a location scout. I was on, I was out with my unit production manager, Chenny Chen. And, you know, I, I was very aware that I may never get to make a second movie. So I can't do all of my ideas, 
But I wanted to make something that even if I never made something again in 20 years, I'd still be proud of and excited by. And so I remember telling her, like, I think I want to make it in black and white. And she said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, which, to her, like, in her defense, like, we got so many no's from film festivals and film distributors just mm. because of black and white. It's a really oh. hard sell these days. Wow. Yeah. That's um, ridiculous. So we shot it in color. We had planned to release it in color, but Mike Potter shot principal photography and then I shot the pickups and two different cameras. He had a, a minimal lighting rig, but a lighting rig. And I just used natural light outside of one shot that we couldn't use natural light for. So we bought some like work lamps at Home Depot. So I, I, was, I cut the movie together, I was color correcting, and I was trying to make the images match, and they just wouldn't. I was driving myself mm. crazy. And then finally, one day, McLeod said, have you thought about making, you know, making it in black and white? And I was like, oh, my God, I have, actually. And I dropped, there's a thing called the, an LUT, which is a color correction algorithm. Oh. I dropped one of those onto the, Im- onto the footage, and it was kind of like the f- first time you see Natalie as Muriel. It was just like, oh, this is the movie. You know, like the movie wants to be in black and white. We got uh, a really sweetheart deal from a really talented colorist who went through and, you know, set it as you, as you have seen it now. Yeah. Yeah. We got really lucky. And yeah, I just, I love that aesthetic and, Mm -hmm. you know, you never get to make black and white movies anymore. So I was like, well, if I'm going to make something with nobody telling me what I can't do, then why not use that? Sci-fi talk returns in a moment. Is there a different process as far as shooting and lighting, something like this? I know you just kind of use natural light, uh, but I mean, the shadows obviously are more pronounced in black and white. And for a horror film, it, they totally lend itself to that. But w- and when you were doing your principal photography, was is it lit differently? And obviously the makeup has to be a little different, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. In, in principal photography, when... Um Mike was shooting, especially when we had Natalie and Sydney. Yeah, the light, we had, we had a light that was very close to their faces so that it would be very intense and, and kind of stark. Yeah, like I said, it was going to be in color. We had a plan for how it would look with all the effects on it. I still have, you know, kind of a demo mock-up of, of right. Muriel with that. Yeah, typically you want to like go in with a plan of shooting color or black and white. <laughs> uh, you know, that's generally what you want to do. In the case of this, and and it it's kind of true like throughout the process, we didn't realize just how well black and white was going to work for it until we set it. And then you know, Mike Mike Potter has a really good. Uh, explanation of why it works because he says, you know, here you've got, you know, these two characters from very different times, but also you have Jack who's a walking ghost and Muriel who's a dead person who's starting to like rediscover her spark. For whatever reason, the heightened reality of black and white kind of accommodates all of this uh, much better than were it in color. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, it was a lucky, lucky, lucky break. It's so cool to me in filmmaking how like technical and creative decisions are so often the same thing. (laughs) That is funny. funny. You know, the film's gotten some rec, certainly gotten some good recognition. Yeah. Uh, That's nice when, uh, when you put something into it and people recognize and say, Hey, you did something good there. 
What's that feel like for you, especially because you had some challenges? Yeah, we worked on this movie for five years. Uh, I taught myself to edit, to edit it. You know, when you make something that's really small and really personal, you don't know if anyone's ever going to care. And I remember telling McLeod, like, we once it's done, you know, and we kind of prepared ourselves for, okay, we're going to probably self-distribute and all this stuff. Everything you kind of expect to do with a no-budget independent film these days. I told him, like, let's just make sure that we're happy and we're proud and it says what we wanted to say because once it gets out there, it's, it's everybody else's and, you know, people are going to read things in it that weren't intended. And that is still a valid read, you know, whether I intended it or not, it's there if you see it. And so I just told him like, let's just make sure that we are proud of this. When we got it to the point where we were comfortable submitting it, we we took some moonshots. We used to it like Sundance and stuff. And and so, you know, we were getting some no's. Like, I'm very good at rejection emails. I can recite them <laughs> in my sleep. Um, but then like Fright Fest said yes. And that opened up so, like the world to us. But even the experience of, of playing Fright Fest, I'd never been to a festival as a filmmaker before, obviously, because this is my first film. I got there. And I am Midwestern by nature, so attention and compliments are not easy for me to process. (laughs) So I got there and everybody's being really nice and like, oh, we love the movie. Like the four guys who run the festival, we never all agree on a movie. We all love this movie. I'm saying, oh, okay, okay. And then when when we had our world premiere, we played to a sold out room of 410 people. And sitting there with, and I sat right by the exit because I figured like my anxiety, I may have to run. But sitting there and like they're laughing at the right times, they're crying and they're gasping and, and just like, oh, this works. And, you know, it ended and there was this really wonderful applause. Alan Jones asked me, you know, how does this feel? And I was like, I, and I just started crying. Um, nice. It's, you know, and now, you know, I've got like you were commenting earlier, like I have trophies over my shoulder. We've won some awards at a few festivals. Yeah. Uh, you know, we won picture director and actor at a few places. And it's really nice. Being at the center of it is very weird (laughs) and kind of understand. I've had like multiple instances of like, okay, this is not normal. Like even like personally. Yeah. It's very strange to have this many people talking about you, but professionally like this doesn't happen with every movie. No. Um, And that was that, that, that took a little bit of getting my head around of Mm -hmm. like, Oh, right. This is weird. Even like to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I don't internalize it because I feel like that's how you become an asshole. But (laughs) uh, I'm very grateful for it. And yeah, I'm just going to I this kind of thing, like when people want to talk about it, it feels like Christmas because I really was ready for nobody to care. Oh, no. Well, we do. We do care. (laughs) I appreciate it so much. Yeah, we do. It's great. You have momentum now with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there something else that you're planning? Yes. You, oh, okay. Uh, as I much as you can to, say, of course. But. Right, right. I've learned not to like get specific because sure. I think in the, the Q&A of Glasgow, they asked like, you know, do you know what you're doing next? And I was like, yes. And we are not doing that when next turns out. Um, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I'm writing something right now. I'm working on the, the second draft of it. Um, that is a time travel road movie with a little bit of disaster movie sprinkled in. 
Oh, I like that. I yeah, like that. I I was being very pretentious the other day, and I said it's an absurdist sci-fi romance. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm a big time travel kind of guy. Oh yeah, changing history, or you know, or or saying you can either go. Oh, the hell with it. We're going to change history. Or it's like, no, no, you can't change the timeline. Otherwise, it screws everything up. Yeah. I think I've actually found something that hasn't been done before. Oh. And um, and it's kind of by reckoning with all of that. Oh, cool. And, you know, and I'm also just a fan of, like, we're watching a movie. Like, we, we can make it up as we go the, the, as right. far as a language. You know, we, things don't have to zig or zag. Um, and that that, to me, is kind of the most exciting thing about especially these days, like 21st century storytelling where everybody's kind of hip to uh, tropes and the oh, yeah. form. <laughs> you know, you watch a movie from the forties and they have to explain everything that's happening. You watch yeah. a movie now. And like, if, if somebody says like an additional line of exposition, you're just like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It totally <laughs> changed. Well, yeah. In the old days too, sometimes it would take, a half hour just before you got into the plot, just yeah. to kind of set this, the mood and the thing. Uh, and, and now, and, and I think it has a lot to do with commercials because we get, we mm. process things a lot faster. So you, you just, if something doesn't happen within the first 30 seconds, you're, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to sit through this. You know, that kind okay. of Cultural evolution moves so fast. It I mean, does. You know, we're, I just direct, I, uh, my day job is I direct audiobooks, and I just directed oh, nice. a book where we were they were talking about um, how our biological evolution is starting to accelerate because we also have cultural evolution, and they're not seeing it in other species. Other species are still evolving at kind of a consistent rate, but yeah. in humans, because we have self awareness, we're able to apply cultural. Uh, lessons and move ourselves along faster, which I find fascinating. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of audiobooks, by the way. I, I think it's a great medium. And man, I've heard some really good ones. You get a good actor or narrator yeah. in there and it's magic that, you know, they paint, they paint such a wonderful picture. And, you know, I mean, obviously, because I use my voice, I'm very cognizant of it. And that's a wonderful instrument when it's used well. So uh, kudos for doing that, because I think that's such a great medium. And Thank because you. we can listen to it on this, or this is my phone, yep. uh, and take it anywhere, uh, it's like a whole new thing has opened up for it. So it's amazing. We're very grateful you love it. Uh, yeah. McLeod is, McLeod is a narrator. That's what his oh, job is. Yeah. He's narrated so many hundreds of books at this point, but he's nice. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Well, Adam Stovall, it's great to have you on the podcast. Movie is a ghost waits. And I, is this a on demand kind of thing at this point or? Uh, yeah. When will this go up? Do you know? Well, this week I'll actually do something that'll uh, like a short part of it will come out this week. Okay. And then uh, later on the whole interview. So here in the States, uh, the Blu-ray drops on May 4th. Oh, okay. And on the same day, it's going to be on uh, TVOD sites like iTunes. And it's oh. only $3 on iTunes. So oh, nice. if you don't want to drop a full Blu-ray or like so many people, you don't have a player anymore, uh, it's, on, it's on iTunes. And we really appreciate you checking it out. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, I think that's what's so amazing in my lifetime to see with, with indie filmmakers I mean, essentially, before you, 
you'd pitch your movie, you get the funding, and then the distributing is a whole other animal. You have to approach somebody to distribute it. And they said, no, I don't want to put up the money for advertising and all this. And yet, because of you know, platforms like iTunes, it's a total game changer now. Yeah. There's a lot of content, but, and not all of it is good, but <laughs> it is a platform and it, it is a platform that a lot of people are, are taking advantage of and really building a career on. It's really amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you can see over my left shoulder, I'm a, I'm a big fan of physical media. Yeah. Um, I, I really relished the opportunity. You know, again, you make a first movie, you don't know if you're going to make a second. When Arrow signed us, I said, I, thought, I, I told McLeod, like, we never may get, to, may get to make another Blu-ray like this. So I, we really dove in. So if you are a fan, especially right now, the first, uh, the first run of the disc is Collector's Edition, has a booklet essay, but oh, there's nice. eight cast and crew interviews. There's three commentaries. There's an outtakes track. There's a video essay there. I mean, there's so much. I just, I packed it. Cause that's, I, I, I said, I wanted to, I wanted to create, I wanted to make a Blu-ray that I would want to buy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. No, I love goodies on Blu-rays and oh, yeah. DVDs. And of course these days I could play it on my PlayStation. It's kind of wild. Yeah. You don't know. even need a DVD player anymore. It's crazy. Oh, no. Like, we'll just sit here. <laughs> she loves outtakes. So we'll just sit here and watch bloopers on YouTube sometimes. Yeah, I know. You know, it's it's really fun. And Arrow has their own streaming service, uh, yep. Arrow Player. So if you if you go to that, if you just, you know, they have some great movies, but yeah. they have a lot of, they have all the interviews plus some digital exclusives. And then they have at least one of the commentaries up. Wow. Well, they've been amazing. Just oh, that's amazing. great. Yeah. Well, con continued success. Ghost a uh, ghost waits. You got to check it out. And um, nice dark humor. Ghosts, <laughs> supervising ghosts. It's great. And, uh, and, and really just some really good acting in it, too. Uh, everybody is, you know, talented. And you'll like the house, too. It's really cool. Thank you it's for being on the podcast. It's a baddie little movie, and I'm really, yeah, you go. I'm really grateful that you, uh, you, you had me on to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And I think we'll do it just again, and based on the time travel idea. That I, sounds I like great. That. I like that. I, I can't like that. wait. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> we'll have a proper sci-fi talk next time. There you go. Well, I, I, hey, look, I've I've done my share of horror. I mean, <laughs> I've talked to John Carpenter. I've talked to uh, when he was alive, I was there at the very first roundtable for Scream with Wes Craven. Ooh, wow. Yeah. And then also on a, on a, uh, we did a, um, a press line and for a movie that he did that had to deny Gara before The Walking Dead in the, in the movie. Oh. I sold a take. And what were we talking about? Buddhism. It was great. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. Right. Thanks again. And thank Tony. you all. Thank you so much. Pleasure. I really appreciate you getting the word out about us. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Until next time. Bye-bye.